0: Come on, today is the day that we celebrate the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Come on, it's all about Jesus, right? It's really all about Jesus. But you know that we live in a world where things are lost and things are confusing. How many of y'all ever lost something that just gets frustrating? How many of you have lost something that's like a habitually thing that gets lost? Anybody got one of those things? So I bought a few things from home just to help me illustrate a point, right? Well, of course, how many of y'all lost a cell phone? Right? I mean, it's like you, you can't find it. Of course, I don't know how I lose it. It pretty much stays like attached at the hip, right? Everywhere I go now, it's, uh, this, the cell phone goes with you, right? It, isn't that the most frustrating thing? You know, you, you got your phone, right? But it's dead. We need a charger. Things get lost. Things get lost. They get confused, right? Even just the little everyday things. Okay? I have one of these. If anybody knows... Look, I'm going to do a wanted photo of this and put it up there if anybody knows where this other sock is okay uh there's a there's a reward i'm offering right now now here here's one ready this is the one that that everybody's probably most familiar with and are you ready for this what is this that's the the remote come on i mean i found remotes in some of the oddest places i found remotes in in refrigerators I found them in, in, like, right next to the toilet on, on the sink, you know. I found them outside everywhere. My, you know, three kids. I love my kids. But like, you know, they, they have... Uh, whoever owns the remote, right, they, you pretty much are the king of the, of the living room. So they, they kind of carry it with them. They'll put it in their pocket. You dig through the laundry, you know, you find a, a remote. Uh, and on a day like today, you, you don't want to lose these, right? Your sunglasses. I lose these all the time. Or, in fact, definitely... Don't want to lose your keys. You don't want to lose your keys. But you know what's interesting? How many of y'all ever done this? You, like, so all these things you kind of lose a lot, but you know, some things are, are just way too important to lose. Y'all, y'all, ever, y'all have any things like that? Like just, so, so what you do is you come up with this great idea, and you, you say, I'm going to go and I'm going to hide this in this spot, so that way I'll never lose it okay? Anybody been there? And then when you need it, what happens? You don't know where it's at, right? It's like, I, I, I remember one time somebody was telling me, yeah, man, I, I hit 20 bucks in the toaster. I'm like, that's the, man, that's a problem, you know? That's not, that's not the best, that's not the best place to do it. But you know, it's, it, this, just, this holiday has in it a sense of, of, of hide and seek, of, of finding things that are lost, right? I mean, we've all heard the, the story of the resurrection. You have the, the, the women, you know, what are they going to do? They're going to look for Jesus, right? Of course, He ain't there. Come on, the tomb is empty, and that's good news. That's good news. But, but relative to this world, we live in a society that is looking for something. Come on, we live in a society that's looking for something. Unfortunately, they're looking in all the wrong places. They're looking in all the wrong places. We, they're looking at movie stars. I mean, how many of you have, just recently in the news, the, le- the amount of movie stars that are just... I mean, it's just a it's just a, a catastrophe. Or, or even government leaders that they that they they're looking in. Or how many of looking for all the answers in social media? Right? I know some people. So a guy told me this the other day, and it, uh, it just blew me away. He's like, I I don't even watch the news anymore. I get all my news on Facebook. I'm like, dude, you are confused, man. I'm like, man, come on. But you know, we live in a in a world that's just constantly looking for something. Right? They're looking for something. They'll never find it. I mean, they're never going to find it unless it's shown to them, right? That's kind of that's where I'm going with this. But they're, they're asking these, these simple questions. And, and we've discussed this in the past of how, how should we live, right? How, how is it that we're supposed to live? You know, if you watch the news, you see in school shootings, and you're, seeing, you're seeing child abductions, you're seeing building walls on the border. There's, 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 there's questions in the definition of family. There's all these issues that people are asking the question, how should we live together, and, and what are the answers? I mean you, you know, there 's way more questions right now than there are answers and as I was just beginning to pray and ask about what, you know, how could we address some of these issues and Joe, what does this have to do with, with Easter? Because come on on today, we realize that the answer was given, right The answer was given in our resurrection, the resurrected Christ. Today, the message is a tale of two veils. A tale of two veils. And I I just, I was thinking, and me and JP, we were praying at at, at men's prayer, and and it just, God just began to drop a message in my heart about a a tale of two veils. How many of you know what a tale is, right? It's a story. It's a a narrative. It could be true. It can be false. It can be whatever it is, right? But it's just a story. And as we look at this Easter time, this resurrection, it really is a wonderful story that started some thousands of years ago. Whenever God revealed himself to Abraham and revealed himself to Moses. And he told Moses, he says, he he begins to describe these laws and these rules and and who he is and his might. And he delivers them out of the, the, the hands of bondage and do all these wonderful, great things that only God can do. And in that time, he gives Moses some specific instructions. He says, Moses, go build a tabernacle because I want to dwell with you. But there's sin in the, in the camp, and I can't just dwell there right in the midst of you. I'll lead you uh, by day, by, by a cloud. I'll lead you at night by a fire. But it, all the rest of the time, I need you to build a, this specific tabernacle, and I'm going to dwell within that tabernacle. And then he said, begin to build a veil there, and that way it will be separation from, from, from God... And man, and in fact, that only once per year can anybody go in there, right? Not just anybody can go behind that veil in that holy of holies, in that tabernacle. So just think about this image, right? So you have life is going on. I mean, much of just like how our lives go on each and every day. You know, we wake up in the morning. We we do the things that we do. We go to work. We go to school. We have conversations. Some of us go shopping. Some of us go fishing. Some of us do all these things that we do. And all in the meantime, in this culture, the tabernacle was being taken care of by priests and all these people. And there was this veil that was created to separate humanity, sinful humanity, from the holiness of God. And that veil, that veil was very strategic, you see. It protected mankind. It didn't really protect God. It protected mankind from, from going in there and, and having their sin exposed. But as time went by, and if you read the story in the Old Testament, as time goes by, they begin the, the Israelites, they just this tabernacle's there, but they kind of spend more time thinking about the, the things during the day, and next thing you know they're building a temple, and then it, things get really convoluted and, and they, they kind of forget about this whole holy of holies area, except for a few people. You see, they created a sacred place where God lived, and everywhere else was where man lived. They created this space where where they would go to to be with God or go to to make their atonement with God or go to make right with God, and then the rest of the time, they just kind of did what they wanted. And it was separated by this veil. The veil was separation. But I want to talk to you a little bit about what was behind that veil because there were some very specific things that I think God would have us to pay attention to that was behind that veil right there in the Holy of Holies. And we have some specific issues some specific things like the ark right the ark and many of you know that the ark was represents the presence of god the ark represents the presence of God. That was God gave specific instructions to Moses and said, Build this ark, this big by this big by this tall, and, and cover it this such a way, and, and put some things in it. And in fact, during that time, that presence was so powerful within the ark. The Israelites they would take it up by rods and they'd put the rods in the side of the ark, and they'd put it on the shoulders of the priests, and they would carry it before them in battle. And when the Israelites were, when they were obedient to that, what would happen? they they'd win. I mean, it was really pretty, pretty simple. When they were disobedient, what would happen? It, would, it wouldn't work out so well for them. In fact, there was even a story where the ark was removed out of the nation of Israel. And, and, and it went into a foreign land. And I mean, you're just going to have to read about it. But it's really indicative of the presence of God. The ark. Right there behind the veil. Now, keep it in mind, not everybody got to see the ark. The only people that got to see the ark was who? The high priest, once a year. He would go behind that veil... And he would do the things that he had to do to make atonement for his own sins and for the sins of the people. Right there with the ark, within the ark was Aaron's staff. And many of you know the story about Moses and Aaron. And, and Aaron had this staff and as God would give him direction, he would do miraculous things with this staff. And God said, put the staff into, behind the Holy of Holies to represent my priesthood. To represent the priesthood of God, the power of God in men, the miraculous works of God. That's what the staff represented. In there, they had also the, the tablets. They had both sets, actually. They had the broken set of tablets that Moses broke, and, and there they had the full set, the second set of tablets that were there within the ark. And the, the, those tablets represented the law, right? Those tablets represented the, the the definitions by which the Israelites were called to live by. They said, How should we live? God says, live like this. He gives these simple rules. I mean, they're not complicated. As a matter of fact, I'd be willing to bet if everybody just followed the Ten Commandments and just the Ten Commandments alone. Forget about all the rest of the law. Things would probably go okay. How I many could say amen? Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not lie. It's, it's pretty, pretty simple. All those things were there because they represent the order of God, the law of God. They're also in the Holy of Holies in light a jar of manna. You know, during that time that the, that the Israelites were, were in the wilderness, God, by His mercy, every morning... Imagine this. They would wake up in the morning and there was just manna setting on the ground. They were hungry. It was sweet like honey. And it had this uh, this crumbly, kind of cakey, kind of consistency. And this was a reminder of God's mercy, right? God began to speak to me here just... Uh, a few weeks ago, I was asking the question, God, what does it mean your mercy is new every morning, right? And, and Pastor Tommy has a great illustration that talks about a waterfall, right? You're hit by the same waterfall, but yet you're never hit by the same drop of water twice, right? And I begin to think about That's a great illustration. But also, God showed me that, that mercy is, simple, is similar to manna. You know, manna, if you tried to keep any of it from one day to the next, what would happen? it would rot and spoil and stink and worms and it was you know not good it's like the day after a crawfish boil you know what i mean like you know, I mean crawfish are great man but you got to deal with all that other heads and all that right but the same way that every single morning that manna was new and fresh is the same way that god's mercy is new and fresh for us you see the reason his mercy is new every morning It's because He uses every single bit of it every single day. Come on, every day God's full mercy is available to us in life. Every day. He doesn't leave anything on the line. He doesn't save anything for later, right? He uses it all just the same way. And that's what that manna represented. The mercy of God. And then finally they have the Torah scroll. The scroll of the Torah. Which was essentially the law and, and which represented those five, first five books of the Bible. Which represented God's covenant with man. Right? We, we all know the story about Noah, right? And the ark. And God says, you know, I'll never destroy the earth by a flood again. But we also have these promises th- through Abraham. Where he says that, that, that by you a great nation. That all the nations of the earth will worship me, right? We have all these promises, all this covenant which represented the old covenant. Behind the veil in the temple. But not just God's covenant, but it also represented the promise of a coming Messiah. Come on, as you read right there in Genesis, we see the fall of mankind. Adam and Eve sinning against God. And then right there in chapter 3 of Genesis, we see that, that God promises that He'll send a Savior through the womb of woman. Come on, we see that right there, God begins to instantly act through his mercy to bring salvation to mankind. That's good news. You know, the the story of Easter, the resurrection story, it doesn't begin in the New Testament. It gets right from the beginning. It's a tale of two veils. You know, this veil that they created there in the temple in Jesus' time was huge. I was doing a little bit of research and, uh, it was somewhere, well, they say that, that whenever the priest would go behind the veil, right? It said it took 200 men, okay, to open this curtain. Think about that. 200 men. Now, I don't know how they did it. I mean, ropes and pulleys and whatever. I don't know. But it was, it was 60 feet tall and some 18 or 20 feet wide. Depends on how you want to measure the cubit. This huge, huge curtain of separation. Why? Because it had to be there. Not, again, not to keep God in, but to keep man out see god was hiding something there he was hiding something keeping it safe keeping it sacred keeping it pure for the just the right time for such a time as this for the jewish people the temple was a place of hope It was a place of comfort. You know, they can get, as they would go through the city, they would see the temple there far off and knowing that they can go in and, 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 and have all these items and what all these things represented. No matter what their circumstances, they knew that God was with them. It was their comfort. It was their hope. It represented sacrifice. It represented... Atonement, making one. It represented forgiveness as they would bring. And, and by the blood of bulls and lambs, they would make right the sins of a nation. But then Jesus came along. This man who was a carpenter from the little town of, of Nazareth. This man who, who goes about and begins to preach this message of what? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven. This man who began to change things and challenge that system that the Jewish people had set up. He began to bring questions about the the Sabbath. And began to bring questions about the intentions of the people, right? Come on, what was happening there was the Jewish people. They began to to say, you know, we want to keep all this stuff safe, you know, secure. But what it was is they had put it there for so long, they forgot what it was there to represent. And they begin to use it not for the presence of God, right? Not for the presence of the, their priesthood. Not for the presence of the law or the mercy of God. Or as a reminder of the covenant. But they begin to use it as a place of authority. And a place to hold it over people's heads. But Jesus began to say, Now, you know, this, man isn't made, made for the Sabbath. I'm sorry, but, but the Sabbath was made for man. He said, you know, all these things that you that you're doing, all these things that you're saying, although yeah, they're there, but but you gotta understand them what they really mean. Because Jesus had a message of salvation. And of course, as you know that 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 through the a trial and, and we, we, we know that the, the story of Good Friday and how how Jesus he's he's brought and accused falsely before men and and hung on a cross. For the sins of humanity. And there he's put into a tomb and three days later they go and and he's not there. Right? Jesus is risen. But if we look in Matthew chapter 27, verse 50. We're going to look through 50 through 54. Matthew 27, 50 through 54. Fifty-four says, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth quaked and the rocks were split and the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. The centurion that was there, that that was with God, saw God be crucified on the cross. He says, Surely, this must be the Son of God. And at that time, the temple veil was torn in two. It says from top to bottom. You know, I believe that it's specifically said, and as many of you have heard, that it was ripped from top to bottom as an indication that only God could have ripped that temple veil in two. Starting from the top, some 60 feet up. The veil was torn by God and not by men. You see, that veil represented a hope for the nation of Israel. It was an anchor of their faith. That veil was was there. That that temple represented everything that the Jewish people had put their hearts and minds and souls and effort. Everything that they were was there represented in that temple. And God, he rips the veil. At the same time that Jesus gives up his spirit. Hebrews 6, 19. It says, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Both sure and steadfast in which enters the presence of... Behind the veil, you see, behind that veil, the presence of God at the crucifixion of Christ was all unleashed. it was unhidden. it was unveiled for all of humanity. You see, at that specific moment, everything changed. No more is this, is this stuff going to be hidden, but I'm going to make it and, and make it public for all to see. So what is that hope? That hope that these, Jewish ha- these Jews had that was ripped behind that veil represented that hope for forgiveness, that hope for peace. You know, during that time, they were living in an occupied country. You know, I believe that even right now, we, we're free in America. But I mean, we're, we're living in an occupied country. We're occupied by the bondage. Of, and there's principalities and powers that are coming against our firm beliefs, our foundations in Christ, our foundations in Scripture. And we need to stand up. And ha- make our voice known. Why? We need to rip that veil of secrecy off of the eyes of our young people. That as they looking for answers, that we, that we have the answer. The truth is, is that we have the answer. There's no reason that we should be ashamed of that. Hebrews 10, 19 and 20. says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus... By a new and living way which He consecrated for us through the veil which is His flesh. You see, the two veils is not just that veil that was torn that day. The other veil that was torn that day was the veil of Christ's flesh. You see, in Christ represented everything that God had represented in the temple. All the elements that were there were fulfilled in Christ perfectly. We look at the ark as it representing the presence of God. Matthew 28, 20 says, Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of this age. You see, Jesus represented that holy of holies. Jesus represented that perfectness and that, that completeness of what was represented in that temple that as that veil was torn, Jesus made himself through his flesh available to all mankind. He is with us always, even to the ends of this age. Aaron's staff, as representative of the priesthood, Hebrews 9, 11 says, But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come. You see, Jesus Christ, by His own blood, by the blood shed on the cross, was able to go in and make perfect atonement to God for the salvation of all of humanity. That no longer will the the blood of bulls and goats have to be offered annually, but the blood of Christ being offered once for the salvation of men. See, Jesus entered in as high priest. Jesus represented that rod, that staff of Aaron. Jesus went in. Behind the veil, perfecting all the things that God put as representative of our salvation, of representative of who God is. The tablets, the law. Matthew 5 17. See, Jesus says this He says, I didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. You know, we see here in these scriptures that everything that Jesus did, He did to fulfill the perfect law of mankind. He says, No longer do you need to have all these 600 and something odd rules as given by, by these people. He said, you, all you need to do is follow two rules. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He says, in this, all the laws are completed. Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. The jar of manna, God's mercy. John three seventeen. Of course, we know that for God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but that the world through him might be saved. You know, the resurrection, like Dr. Lynn had mentioned, it doesn't, I mean, the day, the exact day, isn't as important as the fact that it happened. Come on, every day is a day of resurrection for somebody. Come on, every day is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation for those who receive him. That we need to recognize that God through his son Jesus Christ poured out mercy that was made new every morning then we have the scroll of the, the torah scroll which represented god's covenant luke 22:20 20 says this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you you know that old covenant that old covenant required That old covenant required works. That old covenant required us. But the new covenant requires Christ and our surrender. That as Jesus went to the cross again, that we don't have to put Him on the cross every single day. He did it once for the salvation of man. Jesus is our new covenant. As we surrender our hearts to Him. Hebrews 9:24:25 says, "For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true." These things at the temple, we're establishing this point that what the things that God did were established in the temple. They're representative of what God represents. That all these things that He didn't enter into the Holy of Holies specifically, but we see that He went into the place not made by man's hands, but made by the hands of God. That the things we read about the Old Testament are simply just types and shadows. They're just copies of the trueness of God. But through the resurrection, Jesus entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the very presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Today, I want you to understand that we have access to the holy of holies. Not through the veil of 60 feet tall and, and 20 feet wide, but the veil of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. That's good news. That we could be made right with God. That God thought about all these things. Now listen, all the things that were in the tabernacle and in the temple, they just didn't get thrown together. I mean, God gave specific instructions to Moses. He said, build this, do it this way. Build this, do it this way. Build this, do it this way. And not only that, but he began. To, he empowered those artisans and those builders. When they went to go do it, to, he empowered them with the power of his Holy Spirit. In order to complete these things exactly like they needed to be. Come on, we have a God who pays attention to details. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many, many. You know, in that, God fulfilled the law. He made right an atonement for mankind. But it doesn't stop there. You see, on the third day, on the cross, Jesus fulfilled all these things. But on the third day, how many of you realize that Jesus rose again from the grave? Come on, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is is probably one of the most argued points in the Bible. After 2,000 years, has been unable to be refuted. That there's evidence not only scripturally, but there's evidence in extra scriptural documents that point to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection is important because not only did Jesus fulfill the law, but Jesus conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave. Come on, Jesus conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave. He opened up the door of salvation through his blood. He made a way for us where there seemed to be no way. You see, most of us here would be considered Gentiles or left outside, not even having an opportunity to go into the holy place, much less the holy of holies. But in Romans ten twelve we see that there's now no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord overall is rich to all who call upon him. Come on, for whoever say whoever. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Come on, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I'm here to ask you this today. Have you called upon the name of the Lord? It's really just that simple of a question. You see, in Colossians 3, it says, it says If then you were, you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, which are which Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You know, I love what Paul says in Romans. He says that it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You know, we see here this and we talked about it last week this story in the in the book of Acts of the day of Pentecost when God sent his spirit and he began to dwell upon the disciples. And in that we have access to the Father through his holy spirit. You see the presence of God didn't die and get buried in a tomb and be raised again and then leave and go into heaven did it. I mean it did. But that's not where it stayed. So why is it that God, through His Son Jesus, broke down the veil of separation? You see, what God did in that was He made His presence to come and dwell within us. You see, the the, the presence of God, the ark, the priesthood, all those things. You see, God says that, that, that the Holy Spirit comes and dwells. In us, in First Peter, it says that that we're a holy priest, a holy nation, right? A whole, a royal priesthood. Come on, if we've given our hearts to Jesus, if we've if we've made that step of surrender and said, "Lord, come and live inside of me," then all the things that are represented in the temple are now represented with us, within us. You see, and God didn't do all that and go through all that effort for us to just build another veil in our own lives. Come on, how many of us are walking around with a veil on our salvation, a veil on the presence of God? I I want you to hear me, that God wants you to release and tear that veil of the flesh and begin to pour out His presence onto this community. Come on, that's what the Easter story is. That's what resurrection life is. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He said he didn't die so that way we can die in a church building somewhere knowing that we're saved. He said, no, I I saved you so that way you can live and you can go into this community and you can be the presence of God in our community. Come on, that's good news. That is the resurrection. 1 Corinthians says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were brought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That's 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. You see, our bodies now represent the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies now represent the presence of the living God. Come on, that's That's awesome. That's awesome. We, as we walk around, as we surrender to that, and we say, you know what, God, I'm going to take this veil off, as, as Dr. Lynn said here this morning, that I'm going to live undignified before the Lord, right? David, he danced. When he, was, when he was coming back from battle, he was dancing. And he was undignified. Why? Because he knew that what God had done in him and God had done with him was more important than what everybody might think or say about him. Come on, we're so concerned with what people think and say. Amen. We're so concerned about what people think and say that we do what's necessary many times. How many times do we walk into a, a grocery store or a restaurant or a school and you see somebody there that's hurting? You see somebody there that's sick? And you say, you know, I'd love to pray for that person if there wasn't so many people around. I've been there. You know, last week we talked about just breathe. Just breathe. We talked about how the Holy Spirit has called us into dry places. Not to speak to the death of that dry place, but to speak to the breath of God that it breathe and bring life again into those dry places. And the question I asked was, what valley is God calling you to? The question I asked this week is, what veil have you erected in your life to prevent you from functioning in that valley? See, God established a tabernacle as a means for Moses and the Israelites to have access to him. It was limited, but it was present. He did all those things as a type and shadow of a Christ to come. Jesus, in his body, through his sacrifice, entered behind that veil, tearing it from top to bottom, giving access to all of humanity, to every single one of us, To that holy place. That as we identify now with Christ. And no longer with this world. That we can be carriers of the presence of God. We can be carriers of the priesthood. We can be carriers of God's mercy. Through the resurrection Jesus conquered death, hell and the graves. And he made that access for us. You see I believe that we're called to be a people of overcomers a conquering people a people that live in that resurrection life come on i want to live a resurrection life i want to live a life jesus said he came to give us life and what that more abundantly the abundant life walking in the presence and the knowledge of our savior jesus christ